Good morning. This morning, we're starting a, we started a new series last week, if you were with us last week, entitled, just like the slide said there, the video, uh, we're looking at who we are. And last week, we looked at we are the body of Christ. And we talked about how just as you know, Paul describes this idea of the human body is made up of all these different parts and members of the body all function to basically not let the body die. The whole goal of the body is to live and not die. And so all the members of our physical bodies work together to make that reality happen. And so he likens that to the church that Jesus set up, that uh, basically the, that the body, the church, has all these different types, all these different members, all these different roles within the body, all to function together for the purpose of the life of the church and the common good of the body of Christ. And so all month long we're looking at, as I said earlier in the uh, uh, hospitality time, all month long we're looking at ways that you can get involved here at the gathering, specifically on our Sunday mornings. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, something that we value highly here at the gathering, and that is our, our young people. So you'll be hearing more about that towards the end of the service. But this morning we're going to be talking about our next step here. Not only are we the body, but we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Is where we'll be this morning, Ephesians 2. I'm going to invite you, once you get there, to stand in honor of God's word. We're going to read this together in its entirety, and then we'll, we'll walk through it together this morning. <clears throat> this is Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of any works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for, Lord, the inspiration that you gave to Paul, through your Holy Spirit to write, not just these words, but, Father, the, um, the New Testament, Lord, and the gospel that is, uh, we find in the story of Jesus through our gospels and then through the writings of Paul, Lord, we talk about salvation, we talk about these things, Lord, we're just thankful that we have the word of God today that we can read together. We thank you for that we can gather here together this morning to open it and to freely discuss it. And so, Father, I pray this morning as we sang at the very beginning of the service that just as the Spirit hovered over the waters in creation, we pray this morning that that same Holy Spirit would be with us. Lord, we know that the Holy Spirit lives within us and every believer, but, Father, we ask that you rest on us this morning. Because we know, Father, that through your Holy Spirit, that's how you lead us into all truth. It's not through a sermon, it's not through a, a pastor, Lord, it's through, ultimately, your Holy Spirit and through your word. So, Father, would you use this sermon, would you use my voice, Father, would you use it? But through your Holy Spirit, bring it in power and through your word this morning to speak to us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We are his workmanship. That's verse 10. 
And that's really what we're going to be focusing on, but it's impossible really to understand workmanship if we don't look at verses 1 through 9. So we, can't, we don't want to take verse 10 and say, okay, we are his workmanship, because we can't really grasp what that means. So I'm going to kind of give you the end of the sermon, and then uh, go back, and then bring it back to the end again, okay? So I'm going to tell you the end of the sermon. I'm going to tell you what workmanship is. That word workmanship there is the Greek word poime, poime, okay? And what it means is masterpiece. It's actually where we get the word poem, Okay? So when he talks about here, Paul says, you are his workmanship. He's talking about God being this master craftsman, this, this uh, artist who is uh, painting a painting, sculpting a statue, um, creating a beautiful piece of architecture. It's, a, it's an artist. And you are his trophy. You are his prized art. And I wonder this morning, do you see yourself that way? Honestly, if I was to ask you, do you feel like you are God's prized art piece? That in that gallery, that art gallery, you're the focus. You're the Mona Lisa when people go, is it the Louvre? I think that's where it is. Okay. You're Michelangelo's painting on the Sistine Chapel. That's you. You are his workmanship. You are his a sign of his craftsmanship. Let me ask you, do you feel that way? Or do you feel like actually you kind of you kind of make God depressed? And he's, it's not that you're in front of a gallery. No, you're more like in the basement somewhere. An artist who is not really proud of the art that he made, and so he just kind of sticks it away in the basement. Kind of like what I have here. This is a painting <laughs> that I did when I was in fourth grade. Okay? It's a beautiful painting. Thank you. Thank you. It's by Nathan Jones, fourth grade. I was on team five. And I drew a painting of Jesus walking on the water, and Peter walking out. It's pretty good. You know where I found this? In my parents' basement, in a scrapbook, in the very back corner of the basement. Okay? This is art that I made. And I love my parents, but they're like, that's, that's cute. You know what? Let's put that away. They didn't say, hey, let's contact, you know, Kaufman Center and see if they want to put this in their exhibit. So, you know, do you feel like you're more like this? No offense to me in fourth grade. But do you feel like this is you? That God's like, yeah, yeah, that's a good job. Let's just kind of tuck you down here. Proud of you, kind of, not really. Because I think many of us view God that way, and you view yourself that way. And this says we are his workmanship. And we don't believe that. So, what we need to do this morning since you don't believe that, we got to go back through verses 1 through 9. Because in order to grasp who we are, we must first remember who we were. Okay, so let's go back. Go back with me to verse 1. The first point is going to be this. We were once dead. We were once dead. Look at verse 1. I want you, I want you to notice the second word. We're not going to get very far. We're going to and, okay? We're going to do and, and then I just want to get that second word. Listen. The second word in that verse is you, and you were dead. You. Notice it says you, not other people, but you, you were dead. We tend, we tend to have an inflated view of ourselves, don't we? I think um, we kind of view other people as bad, you know. Um, it's always somebody else out there, so it's people uh, of a different religion. Yeah, they are dead in their sins. People of... Um, uh, who are involved in maybe a life of drugs, sex, or crime. 
you know, that those people are dead in their sins. Lord, would you save them all? This it's always them, and it's it's people who are a different political spectrum or belief system than us. They are the ones who are dead in their sins. People who have an alternate ideology when it comes to ethical life. It's it's people of other religious faiths, people outside the church, outside of Christianity. These are the ones with the problems. You want to know the ironic thing? While we think they're the ones with all the problems, you know what they think? They think you're the one with all the problems. They do. You guys have non-believing friends. They think the problem is a bunch of Christians. They're judgmental, the church, religion, all these things. You're the problem. And I think this is just a problem we all have. You know why? Because we are all dead in our sins. And we don't like the point you. We like to say, yeah, they, but we don't like the second word of the sentence. You were dead in your sins. We imagine ourselves as relatively clean and everyone else was dirty. Happens in relationships too. I've, I've been a pastor a long time. And I don't think I've ever, maybe very rarely, in counseling sessions has somebody admitted, you know what, I think I'm the problem here. It's always, well, they did this. They're the problem, right? Just, it's naturally what we do. It's, we deflect, and it's always somebody else's problem. But Paul uses you right here from the top, and I think that's on purpose. And we're not going to fully grasp this idea of love and grace without first understanding that you, you were dead in your sins. You were dead in your sins. Second key word I want you to see there is dead. Dead. We tend to think as, uh, of sin as an action. Sin is the bad things that you do. Adultery, stealing, racism, murder. These are all sins, but they are sins that we do, the things that we commit. And so we like to see sin as an action rather than a condition because if it's an action, then we can have an equal and opposite reaction and fix that problem, right? If sin is something I do, then I don't want to sin anymore, so I'll just not do that thing, and then I'll do some good things to outweigh that. And so when we see sin as just something that we do, we become convinced that salvation is through good works. But the word dead, I'm not an expert here, but I'm pretty sure when something's dead, there's no action. Right? That's the definition of dead. No action. No movement. No reasoning nothing they're they're dead so being dead in our sins is not just something that we do it's something that it's a condition of the heart you were dead in your sins there's no action that you could have taken you are literally dead okay those of us who are parents totally get this right you remember when you guys sat down with your kids and you started teaching them how to lie? Remember that conversation? Here's how you lie, kids. I'm going to teach you how to not share. I'm going to teach you how to be a jerk to your friends at school. Right? We're going to sit down and teach you how to sin. We don't do that, do we? What do we have to do? <laughs> do the opposite. Here's how you not lie. Where did you get that? Where did you learn to do this? See, it's again, somebody else out there. Where did you learn that? And sometimes the throngs will be like, you, daddy. Right? Okay, it's out there. But we understand this. Dead things don't move. They don't reason. They don't act. They can't move, reason, or act. So Paul says here, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. In other words, there was nothing that we could do for ourselves. There was no hope. There was no cure that you could come with. No 
thing to change your condition. You were utterly helpless. You cannot raise yourself to dead, or dead to life. You can't do that. Because it's a condition. It's not just something you do. It's who you were. You were dead. Look at verse 2 and 3 here. Then he says, not only were we dead in our sins, but we were held captive by this death, by three kinds of bondage. I want you to see this. Verse 2 through 3 will be up here on the screen. I have it in different colors here so you can see it. So not only are you dead in your sins, in case we don't understand deadness, you think, well, maybe I can kind of climb out of that deadness. Well, then you got three obstacles in your way. Okay, look at this. It says this. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So it's like we have these three prison guards that are keeping us captive in our sin. See the first one there, we have, uh, we have the world. He describes this, that the course and the direction of the world does not pursue the things of God, right? The entire system of the world is corrupt. It doesn't seek God, it, it seeks self. It doesn't desire to serve God on his throne, it seeks to take God off of the throne. So here we are living in a culture that does not seek the things of God, and so the very place we live keeps us captive of sin. That's just one of them. He goes on, he says, you also have the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? What's well, Satan. So not only do we have the world in its pursuit of sin, but now we have, we have Satan who is prowling around, looking whom he can devour, and he's just constantly tempting you to continue on in your sins. So you have the world, and now you have this, this Satan who is then... Um, uh, tempting all of us to continue on in the sinful desires. And not only that, you also have um, your own flesh. It's within us. It's, it's like we like to sin. We enjoy it. We pursue it without trying. We just, it's who we are. So we have all these things Paul's saying, you are dead in your sins, and if you can't even grasp that, you have to deal with the culture around you, you have to deal with the evil one, and you have to deal with just yourself, your own flesh. So that's why Paul says, we are by nature children of wrath. When he uses the word children, you get this idea of inheritance. So what, what a child would get, what he would inherit, would be the father's inheritance, right? Well, we are children of wrath. So what we inherit, because we are dead in our sins, because we are dead in our trespasses and sins, we inherit wrath. Paul says it another way in Romans 6, 23. You probably know this one growing up. For the wages of sin is what? Death. You know what wages are? It's what you earn. It's what your inheritance is. That's what you get. That's the wages of sin is death. It's the inheritance. We are children of wrath. I want you to notice here, though, all this. I noticed this just last night. Look at, look at verses 1 through 3. It's all in the past tense. Right? Look at verse 1. We were dead. Verse 2, in which you once walked. Verse 3, in which we once lived. Verse 4, we were by nature children of wrath. It's all past tense. You were dead. You were once walking in this. You once lived in this way. You were by nature children of wrath. Something must have happened. If you notice, if you remember Romans 6.23 and you kept quoting that verse, I just quoted Romans 6.23, what do you call it, A? There's two words in there. It's the same words Paul uses here. You guys know what it is? But God, right? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but 
the gift of God's eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Here we see Paul say the same thing. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Verse 4, but God. Okay? It's past tense. You were once this way, but something happened. You know what that something that happened? It wasn't something that you started doing. It wasn't something that you remedied. You didn't come to life on your own. You didn't start doing better. There was no action that you could do. Verse 4 says, but God. Okay, so here's the second point I want you to see this morning. We were saved by grace. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which, which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I want you to notice that it's God who is in action here. Because we are dead. We can't act. We can't move. We can't do anything. But God is not in sin. God is not dead in his trespasses. Since he can't sin. He has not sinned. And so he is able to take action, and that's exactly what he did. God did. God did it. Your and my salvation is initiated by God. He moved in action. So salvation begins with God. It's a picture of the Father when the Son is coming home. The Son has a speech prepared. Father, I have sinned against you. He's practicing this speech. It was the Father, he runs to the Son. And he shows him grace before that Son can even get a chance to give his argument and plead his case and ask for forgiveness. The Father ran to him. That's the idea. It's an action of the Father. It's an action of God. And what does Paul say is the motivation? What is it that made God do this? Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, here it is, because of the great love of God. The love of God is what motivated him. It was his mercy and his great love for you. So I think we, we need to grasp this again this morning. Those of us who have been saved, we were once this way. But God moved in love toward you. Not because you earned it. Not because you deserved it. But rather out of his love. Not because he saw you and said, oh, poor thing. No, he moved in love toward you. That's why he did it. And we need, we need to grasp that again because we were dead. And our inheritance was death. Our inheritance was being a child of wrath. But God, out of his great love, moved in mercy. But not only that, look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. Once you notice again the past tense, you were dead and you were made alive. That's past tense. And this is important. It's important because what it's referencing to is that there's something that happened in the past that made you alive together with Christ. So it's not something that you do presently to make you alive together with Christ. It's something that happened in the past tense to make you alive together with Christ. You know what that was? The cross. That's how he made you alive together. Past tense. Something happened. And he made you alive together with Christ. It was the cross. Where he bore our sin. Died the death we deserved out of his great love for us. And what's great is that not only are we saved from death, but we are made alive with Christ. We become spiritually alive. Where we were once spiritually dead, we are now alive because of the resurrection. Paul calls it, I believe we even say this when we baptize, the newness of life. Raised to walk in the newness of life. That's the way Paul says it. Jesus called it being born again. We who were dead, alienated, separated from God, are now no longer alienated, but together with Christ. We're no longer dead, but we're made alive. But that's not it. It's not just we're saved from going to hell, okay? It's just more. Paul says more. Look at verse 6 and 7. And then he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that 
in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. So not only are we just saved by grace and put away in the basement, like my picture, okay? I will save you. We'll save this, honey. This will be good years later. We'll save this for later. But it's more than that. He's not just saving you from being thrown in the bin. He is also, look at verse 6 and 7, making us alive. But it also says that we are raised up and seated with him in the heavenly places. When Paul uses the term seated, he uses it in the aorist sense, which speaks of something that's, that's fully taken place. It's not something that will take place. It's something that has taken place and is currently taking place. It's not will seat you, but has seated you. So even though we are not yet inheritors of our full uh, experience of what God has for us in Christ, we have some of that now. He has seated. Think of the idea of a bride and groom who arranged their wedding reception, and they seat you somewhere. You have a place reserved. It is there for you. You have been seated as if you were there. Your nameplate is there as if you were seated there. So it's not just something in the future. It is something that we already have. We are seated with him. In other words, we have fellowship with God in the heavenly realm. We have fellowship now because of the grace of God towards us with the heavenly Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who one day we will receive fully and see him fully, but even right now, salvation is not just something we get when we die. Salvation is something that happens right now. We benefit. Right now we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. Right now we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Right now when we gather together, the Holy Spirit, he says, is with us in the room. Okay? We, have, we are seated now with God in the heavenly places. You see, it's not just grace that saves you from hell. It's grace upon grace upon grace. Here's the other thing, too. The idea of being seated. In the scriptures, when it's talking about something being, someone being seated, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way of saying, it's a metaphor of saying that it's, it's complete. You can't be unseated. When something is seated, when a king was seated, he was saying, final authority, right here. So he says that you are seated is a way of saying that salvation is complete. It's accomplished. You can't be unseated. From your seat. Where you're seated, it's done. It's complete. In full. You can't lose it. And you will continue to show more and more grace through the ages, is what he says. Then he summarizes it here in verse 8. I want you to read, just, let's just finish it here, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we went from dead to being alive, from sinful nature to being given a new nature and a new birth, from an inheritance of being a child of wrath to an inheritance of being seated with Christ, from being condemned to being saved. And Paul says here that none of this is a result of your works. It's a result of a free gift of grace from God alone. We're not saved by our works. We are saved by grace. But also we are not kept by our works. We are kept by grace. Because you can't be unseated. We are kept by grace. I believe on the screen, I have three words there, three phrases there, that Paul uses just here, and I think it's very, very critical. We have grace, we have faith, and we have works. In that order. I think that's critical. I think Paul does this on purpose. Grace, faith, 
and works. The order is critical because many people get this out of order. Grace is always the start. Then faith. Not faith and then grace. Let me explain it this way. A lot of people believe, well, God will offer me grace if I have enough faith. If I do enough things for him, then he will offer grace. So you've, but you've arranged the order correctly, incorrectly. You've taken it out of order. Now it's faith, then grace, then works. That's a problem. The order is critical. Some people do works first. If I do enough stuff, then maybe I'll get enough faith, and then God will forgive me and have grace. That's not the order Paul says here. It's always grace that is nothing that you can do. Only he can do. That he starts that. And even faith, I would argue, is something that he must give you. The only thing that we participate in is this works. And has nothing to do with grace. Except for is a byproduct of grace. So the order is critical. The Christian life starts with grace from God. It moves us to faith and it produces us good works. So, last point is this. The whole point of the sermon brings it down to this. We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Here, all of a sudden, he changes to present tense, right? We are his workmanship. Not we will be or sometimes his workmanship. Not if we do enough things to please him, we will be his workmanship. No, he says you are his workmanship. I told you before that the word there, the Greek word is poeme, and it means made. It means something designed by a master. It means craftsman. It's a, it's a masterpiece. It's where we get the word poem. And it really can refer to any work of art, such as a statue, song, architecture, or painting. It's only used one other time in the New Testament. It's in Romans 1.20, where Paul argues that the material creation, the things that God has made, are to display who he is. So when he talks about the stars and the planets, all these things point to God. He has made these things for us to see so that no one is, has an excuse saying, I don't think there's really a God. No, he has, he has put it on full display for all to see. That's where he uses workmanship in the New Testament. It's just like that here. But Paul is not saying that the stars and the creation is what draws people to the Lord. He says you are. Same word. You are his workmanship. We are his greatest masterpiece that he is showing off to the world. Those who are dead are made alive. Those who are children of wrath have been, been seated with Christ. This is my greatest work of art. I've made mountains. I've made seas. I've made all the animals. i made human beings. But my greatest art piece are those who have received grace through faith and show it off by their good works. That's my masterpiece. That's the one that's a Sistine Chapel. That's not this in a basement. this it's a masterpiece and we often think we're the basement but God says no 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 this on display for all to see that's my work this is who you are Nate not because of anything you've done let's clear that up but because of what I've done in you I put you on display I want everybody to see this I don't put you in the basement I'm not ashamed of you you're, 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 you're on display for all to see. I love this quote by St. Augustine. It says this. 
Then go abroad to wonder at the height of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, and at the long courses of rivers, at the vast compass of the season, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without even a wonder. So what's sad is that we approach God this way. We see ourselves as this. God sees us like this. He said, well, I want to display you, but we say, no, I'm this. This is how you see me. Put me in the basement. And he's trying to say, no, I, I want you on display because of what I've done for you. And we pass by, we view ourselves in this way, but that's who we once were. We are no longer, not, now we are his workmanship. So how are we best displayed as his workmanship? On an easel for all to see. The top of Sistine Chapel. In an art gallery. And God has done this, and what he's doing is that he is putting us on display. Look at verse 10. Created in Christ Jesus, here comes the works. Four good works. Now you play a role. Now you play a role in this. He has uniquely formed your life, whether good things or bad things, experiences you have, all lead up to this beautiful painting that he has made of you. And he has uniquely given you an opportunity to join in the ministry of reconciliation, the, the, the display to the world of what God has done. That's what he wants of you. It's to perform good works, not so you can earn love from him. That's not what he does it for. What he wants to put you on display for so other people will look at you and he sees the grace, they see the grace of God in your life and you minister to them and you have these good works for the purpose of bringing glory to God. Jesus says it that way, doesn't he? Love one another. When they see they, how you love one another, they will give glory to God. They'll see me, right? This is, this is all what it talks about in the New Testament. He doesn't hide you in a dark room in a basement, ashamed of his artwork. No, he puts you on grand display, allowing you and I to take part in his kingdom work. I'm going to end with this. This passage Paul also has here in 2 Corinthians. It's up here on the screen. It's, you can hear the same message echoed here. Listen to this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Doesn't that sound similar? They were once this way, but now they are made new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. You hear it there again? But God, he's the one who acted. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us. We didn't reconcile ourselves. He reconciled us to himself. Listen to this, though. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He put us on display so that through our good works here, look at that, that in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We are ambassadors. Another way of saying that we represent him. We are on display for him. So this morning, I hope that you remember who you are, believer. Remember who you are by remembering who you once were. So the application this morning is pretty simple. Really just three things this morning. First one is for those who have yet to believe. And it's this. Would you receive the free gift of grace today? I say that 
because there's nothing you can do for it or to earn it. Maybe you've tried. You've tried and tried and tried, and it's not working. Can I tell you, it's not meant to be that way. Not meant to be a way that you can work and work and attain it. You can't attain it. That's why this morning is just a surrender of saying, I can no longer try and earn grace from God, to earn acceptance from God. Rather, I will just this morning receive it because it's something that he has done. You see that he is running after you. You see that he is pursuing you. You see that he loves you. So this morning, when you feel that in your heart, you feel like God is speaking to you. Maybe that is him drawing. Maybe that is him helping you recognize you were this way, but God, I'm stepping in. I'm, I'm pursuing after you. And so this morning, the simple response is to say yes. The simple response is to accept the grace that is freely offered to you. And this morning, if that's you, I'm going to be down here at the front. We're going to sing a song here in a few minutes. I'll be down here, sitting right here after service. You can come find me. We have two tables at the back with lights on. You'll be able to talk to some deacons. We would love to share with you how you can receive this grace this morning. Second one is this. For those of us who are believers, we need to remember the free gift of grace today. You just need to remember. We forget, and we slip into this all the time. We slip into this, and we think that this is how God sees us. Embarrassment disappointment and we just we sit in that for years decades and we don't believe that God could ever use us it's a lie from the devil maybe today you need to remember the free gift of grace that you once had death but now you have life and he loves you and has given you grace upon grace so stop trying to earn God's love for you remember that it's from him the last thing is this. Remember you are his workmanship. So I ask you, what good works are you doing? Not to receive salvation, but what good works are you doing on display? What good works, how is God using you, your story, how he's formed you and made you, even the difficult things, how are you using that to display through good works the Father? How are you doing that? How are you participating in the ministry of reconciliation? Let's pray. Father, remind us today of your great love for us. Thank you for your word that reminds us of your grace. Lord, I'm amazed that you would choose to, to use us, but I'm thankful, God, that you, it's not just saving us, Father, but you, you long to display your grace through us. And so, Lord, we're thankful and humbled by that today. So, God, we, we ask that you would move in our midst today. We ask, God, that you'd speak to our hearts. Those who you're drawing to yourself today, I pray that they would respond. For those who need a reminding today, I pray, Lord, that they would respond. For all of us, Lord, may we look to ourselves and say, Father, how am I, how am I displaying your workmanship? Am I displaying your workmanship? And walk in obedience in that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen.